Well, good morning, Crossroads Church. It is good to be here at North Glen Campus. I want to welcome those of you at our Thornton Campus, Port Lupton, online, wherever you may be. Today is a big, big day. Today we are celebrating uh, the 28 years of Pastor Kim's senior pastor ministry with big old parties throughout the afternoon. Kind of show of hands, how many people are coming? Just go, yeah, oh yeah, everybody, of course, of course, yes. Today is the big party. We're going to be partying from like 1 to 8 o'clock. It is going to be great. We're expecting over 1,500 people uh, to be a part of this. It is going to be big. It's going to be fun. Uh, a lot of uh, time celebrating the legacy and the impact that Kim has had, not only on these communities and in this church, but on us individually. And so we're looking forward to that. If you haven't signed up, if you didn't raise your hand yet for one of the parties, let me make this really easy for you, all right? One o'clock, completely full. 3.30, completely full. 6.30, 150 tickets left, all right? And so if you haven't uh, signed up yet, uh, go to crossroadsabc.com slash Pastor Kim. Sign up for the 6 o'clock service. We would love to see you there, all right? So with that said today, uh, we're going to jump into God's Word together as we continue uh, worshiping through God's Word. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. It's where we're going to be in a few moments together. With Kim's retirement... Uh, I have the honor, really privilege, and opportunity to lead this church uh, into its future. And as we step into this future together and on this journey together, one of the things last summer that we thought about during this month of me taking over as the senior pastor was what would it look like to do a sermon series really around my heartbeat, around the things that, make, uh, that I'm passionate about in my life, in my ministry, in my leadership, what would that, like a sermon series look like for that? And so we came up with this idea of having this sermon series called Heartbeat, where I would just share with you my passions. Really, these are the things that you can expect from me as your senior pastor. And so if you were here with us last week, we got it started with really kind of the first fundamental pillar of my life, of the things that I'm passionate about, which is all about God's glory. And if you were here, you heard a little bit of my story, a short part of my story, where God uh, used some circumstances in my life ultimately to bring me to a Christian college where I read a book that had deep impact on my life called Desiring God by John Piper. And it was in that book that as I read that book several times through actually, where God put in me this desire, this desire that I had never had before, truthfully. I was a Christian, I was a believer, I read the Bible, I loved God, but I never truly had this desire in me. And all of a sudden, as I read through this book, there was this desire, this passion that was lit in me for God's glory. And out of that was, came one of, my, one of my great life verses that I have out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where the Apostle Paul tells us that whether we're eating or drinking, whatever it is that we're doing, whether that be our vocation or in our marriage, in our singleness, in our parenting, in our recreation, whatever it is that we're doing, that we're to do it for the glory of God. And when I began to realize that, the, the yearning and the longing in my life for purpose, all of a sudden the pieces started to fit together and I realized that my purpose as well as your purpose in this life is to bring glory to God and the way in which we do that is by enjoying him in the things of this, of this life, by enjoying him in the things that we participate in. And so we looked at all of that last week. And so as this week, as we jump into it, the really kind of the second pillar of passion in my life, the, the thing that makes my heart beat is the Bible. Now, I know for some of you, you're like, Matt, you're a pastor. Isn't it like a prerequisite to get in the job, right? Like, like you got to love scripture. And I would say maybe, maybe. But my love affair with the Bible started way before I ever thought about becoming a pastor. 
I want to share a little bit more of my story. And so I'm going to take you all the way back to 1995, all right? In 1995, I was 15 years old. And every Sunday, every Sunday, you could find my family right here at the North Glen campus. Now, in those days, we didn't call it the North Glen campus. It was just Crossroads, right? We didn't have three campuses and all these people. It was just Crossroads. And so every Sunday, we would show up here in this sanctuary. And where my family sat was kind of right here in this section, all right? So middle left section, right where the, the Gaskells are, right Wave your hands. Yeah, yeah, you can't see this on camera, but don't worry. They're sitting there, I promise. That's where we sat every week as a family, okay? And when we came in, we had a seating order. We had assigned seats. My dad would sit on the end, and then I would sit next to him, and then my mom, and then my brother. Now, this was strategic. The parents were in between the boys so that we couldn't cause trouble. And if we became unruly, they could get to us quickly, all right? That was the reason that we sat the way that we did. And then next to my brother was my sweet sister, Katie. Every week, you could find us sitting in that fourth pew right there. It was important to my dad that we never missed church, and so we never did. And every Sunday as we sat in that pew, Pastor Kim would stand in this place with the big pulpit in front of him, and he would deliver a message about Jesus, about life, about the way that we're to live as Christians. Every week, this is what we did. This was our routine as a Manning family. Now, in those moments, and, and maybe you've had a moment, something, uh, something similar to this, have you ever had those moments in your life where you feel like the pastor is talking directly to you? Like, like he's been reading your mail and he knows exactly what's going on in your life. Like you know that, that there's like 100 other people here and he's not, he's not specifically talking to you. But it's like everything else darkens in the room and like you're the only person there and he's talking right to you. Have you ever had that moment? Well, in 1995, I had that moment. That Pastor Kim, God, I would say it this way, that God spoke something through Pastor Kim into me that ultimately changed my life forever. That Pastor Kim was standing in this spot and, and he said something like this. That the most serious question before any of us, the most serious question before any of us, is what God himself is like. There was something about that line that just struck deep within me. It struck really, really deep within me. It, it grabbed my attention. And what he did next is he, is he held up the Bible. And he said, God gives us truth. Not to just inform us, but to transform us. That God's intention is to transform our lives through knowing him. And you can know him. Because he's revealed himself in this book. Would you read it? Would you read it? And in that moment, it felt like God was talking right to me. I was a 15-year-old freshman at Stanley Lake High School. I played baseball and hockey and video games. That you could find me here on Sundays and Wednesdays a part of the youth group. That I was trusted in Jesus when I was 12. I was baptized when I was 13. That that was my life. But on this day in 1995, something hit me differently. See, up until that point, when I looked at the Bible, what I saw was a bunch of old stories about some old people that I didn't really know. And at times, you could see a few things about this really cool guy named Jesus. That was the Bible for me. It had some good lessons in it. It had some good moral teachings that, that we're supposed to live our lives by. Never before had I considered that the most serious question before me in my life was what I believed God to be like. Never before had I, had I considered that. And never had I realized that God had given us the scriptures, the Bible, in order to reveal himself to me in extraordinarily personal ways. 
Well, out of that sermon, I went all in. I, I decided that I was going to start reading my Bible regularly. If this was the way that God revealed himself, then, then I wanted to know. And so I started reading regularly. I picked up a book by A.W. Tozer called uh, the, Holy, um, the Knowledge of the Holy. And in it, Tozer writes these words very similar to what Pastor Kim said on this day. He said, the portentous fact about any man is not at any time what we will say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. And as I've lived out my life, I've realized how true this is. I mean, the way that we view relationships and our family, the way that we, that we view our morals and our ethics, our vocations, our values, all of that is an outpouring, an outflowing of how you and I conceive God to be like. I mean, isn't this true? When we can't sleep at night and in the darkness of our room, when we're just pondering thoughts, oftentimes our thoughts lead to, I wonder what God is like. I wonder what he looks like. I wonder, I wonder who it is that I'll see when I get into heaven. I wonder what I'll do. Like these are the thoughts that, that fill our heads in the quietness of night. And the great thing is, is that God lets us in on who he is and what he wants us to be. That we have a creator that has revealed himself in this book and that we have access to it. And listen, we never have to wonder we don't have to spend one day wondering what our God is like. That we don't have to spend a lifetime wondering if what we're doing is what pleases God. We never have to wonder any of that. And for most of us, hear me on this, for most of us, we don't even realize what a great miracle that is. That throughout the history of the world, that there has been this relentless and continual pursuit to get you the word of God. That this book, whose central theme is about, a, is about an unknown carpenter's son named Jesus, a book written over thousands of years by 40 different authors in three different languages, seven different genres, that your Bible is more a library than it is a book. And shortly after these letters and poems and histories were written, men would dedicate their entire lives to copying this down for others to read. To pass it on to another generation. Just to give you an idea, if you started copying the Bible word for word today, it would take you 10 months with your pen and paper to write it all down. And men would dedicate their lives to the top of Scripture. That when it came to, to, to getting an actual Bible for yourself, it would take a lifetime of money for you to buy one single copy of the Bible. That it was common in Europe before the 1400s, to, to save up for an entire year, an entire year people would save in order to go to the one person in town who had a Bible and to pay all of that money so that they could sit just for a day and read these scriptures. In 1400s, a, a Christian man named Johann Gutenberg invented the printing press for the express purpose to be able to get these Bibles cheaply into people's hands. Men like Zuss and, and Zingli and Wycliffe dedicated their entire lives in the midst of severe persecution to translate these words into the common language of the people. That what we have here is this tremendous act of God weaving throughout history in order that you and I can have one or more of these of our own. In order that we might see God in order that God might reveal himself to you. And so every week when we get up here and we say, turn your Bibles to such and such, realize that it is no small thing. Here we have this amazing opportunity every single day to open this 
and to meet the God who is revealing himself to us in extraordinary personal ways. And in 1995, God captured my heart for his word. And it has been a 25-year love fest with this book. And so every week when I stand up here and I say, turn your Bibles to so-and-so, I need you to know that it is no small thing in my mind. It's a pillar in my life. It is a passion of which I'm building my life upon. And my commitment to you as your senior pastor, as long as God gives me breath and ability to do what I do, lead this church, that we will pursue what God himself is like by opening the scriptures that he has given to us in order to see him more clearly. See, I just believe at the end of the day, I just believe that it's through the reading of God's word that we are able to see what God himself is like. And so like I said, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to spend a few moments here just looking at two verses in this scripture where Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this amazing book. The letter of Ephesians is amazing. And Paul is writing this amazing little letter to this church in Ephesus. And in doing so, he connects reading to God revealing himself to us. He connects this, this reading to the glories of God in this world. And I want you to see it, all right? Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. This is what we're going to read. We're going to read verse 4 together. It says this. When you read this, when you read this, look what he says. You can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ. Now, this statement, this verse gets my heart racing. It is one of the most beautiful scriptures in all of the Bible. Paul says, reading this, you can perceive, that is discover, see, grasp, wrap your arms around. You can see, Paul says, my insights, apostolic insights, a man who walked with Jesus, a man who wrote like half of the New Testament, that we can perceive his insights his direct line to Jesus' insights into the mysteries of Christ. To which we have to ask the question, what are the mysteries of Christ? Well, a few verses later in verse 8, here's what Paul says. He, he's trying to help us understand what are these mysteries of Christ. He writes in verse 8 this, To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given. This gospel was given to Paul. Here's what he says. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what it means when it comes to the mysteries of Christ. The mysteries of Christ in verse 4, Paul says, is the unsearchable riches of Christ in verse 8. They're the same thing. And as Paul's writing this to the church in Ephesus, I imagine that he's, that he's like looking for words here. That he's grasping for words. How do I explain something so great and so significant? And oftentimes, when people are reading these verses, they get a little confused and they, they kind of misunderstand a little bit. Because oftentimes, when we look at verse 8 and we think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, what we think is, is, is that they're unsearchable in that they cannot be searched. But that's not what Paul's saying here. No, 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 no. We better search. What Paul means is that we can't search them exhaustively. That we can never get to the top. To call the riches of Christ unsearchable doesn't mean we go, oh, God is unknown. 
We're never going to know. We're never going to know what he's going to be like. I'm just going to sit back and relax. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul says, you, you better search. You better search what's going on here. And in fact, Paul has just spent two chapters in this letter doing some of the greatest searching on this side of heaven. I mean, as you read through Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, we go deep into what God is like. That we see so clearly who Jesus is in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, that we get a picture of what our salvation looks like and the way that God has been working from the very beginnings of time to bring us to this point in our lives. That when Paul says unsearchable, he does not mean that, that you can't find God. It means that you will never get to the top. That in that moment when you think that you realize and you've seen all that there is of God, Paul says there is more to be seen here. About 10 years ago or so, Pastor Chris, when he was the youth guy at Thornton, I was the campus pastor at Thornton, every year we would take college students and high school students on a backpacking trip. That's what we would do. And one year we decided that we were going to do a backpacking trip over the Continental Divide. And what we thought was going to be a pretty easy trail, we realized that we misread the map. And when I say we, I mean I. And actually, it was a very difficult uh, thing. In fact, the first day, the first day we made, we started at 8,000 feet. And in five miles, we climbed all the way to above 11,000 feet. And that night, we were camping out above the tree line, this beautiful lake. All the kids are freezing to death because it was super cold, right? And so we're on top of this mountain, and we're looking at what the next day's hike's going to be. And you could see it as we camped there because there was this huge like cliff, which was the Continental Divide. And you could see this little hiking trail going up the side of it that we still had another 900 feet to climb the next day in about a half a mile. That it was going to be an arduous, it was going to be a hard, hard hike, a hard climb with backpacking gear. We all went to sleep that night. We packed up the next morning. We divided into our three groups. We started to make the hike up the mountain. We got above 12,000 feet. We got to the summit, and we were all so excited. We were high-fiving. I mean, we were on the top of the Continental Divide. We're taking pictures and celebrating and all that kind of stuff. And then we put back on our gear to get ready to hike. And not a single one of us noticed that on that trail, it dipped down a little, and then it went even higher. That where we were at was a false summit. That we hadn't even made it to the top yet. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying you can read this book. You can read Romans and Ephesians and Philippians and Galatians. You can read all of this. And when you think you've got to the top and that you see it all, you turn around and you realize that there is way more God to see. There's way more going on here. That you can spend a lifetime in this book discovering God. And Paul says that it's by reading a skill so ordinary that my three kids can all do it. It's by reading that we see the, the riches of Christ. I mean, my seven-year-old girl, Mercy, sweet Mercy, she was able to read before she went to kindergarten. And the reason that she could read before she went to kindergarten is because my wife, Sarah, spent so much time reading to her as a little girl as a, as before she went to school. And still, even her most favorite thing to do is to cuddle up into your arms and have you read her a book. Reading. In the U.S., we, we teach our kids to read. Almost every single person in the U.S. Has a, has a basic understanding of reading. It's such an ordinary part of life. And Paul says that it's through this ordinary thing, reading, that that's the pathway to seeing and discovering who God is 
and what God is like. And when I think about that, my heart melts every time, every time that I'm so thankful that I get to read my Bible every morning, almost every morning, I wake up at 5.15 and before I go to the gym, I spend 20 minutes just, just reading God's word and it's wonderful. I mean, how can it not be? For those of us in, in our, these rooms worshiping today, for those of us who have, who have trusted Jesus as our Savior, at some level, whether you know it or not, you are building your life around the words in this book. That you are absolutely doing that. And if this really is God's word, how can it not be wonderful? How can it not be? Because this word, it reveals the mysteries of Christ. That's what Paul says. It's revealing the unsearchable riches of who Jesus is. That should be enough for us to jump out of bed in the morning and to approach this book with joy. I mean, that's why Jesus gave it, isn't it? Do you remember his words in John 15? He says this, that I speak these words to you, these readable words to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, I give you, I give you readable words that your joy, your hope, your peace may be full in your lives. I mean, when we start looking and searching through the scriptures, we see this reality time and time again that this book was given so that we might have joy. When you get to the book of Psalms, the very first promise in the book of Psalms is that those who are blessed are those who have joy in God's word. The delight is in the law of the Lord, and that one is blessed. Very first promise in the Psalms. When you get to Psalm 119, King David's great psalm on on the word of God, 28 times, 28 times in my reading this week, David says that the word of God gives him delight. I just want to read a few of them for you. Verse 77, David writes this, Let your mercy come to me that I may live. For your law, your word is my delight. If your law had not been my delight, verse 92, I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my lips. How oftentimes have you used those words in your reading of the scriptures? Verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Now, when King David was reading his Bible, his Bible was a little different than our Bible, okay? That his Bible was the Torah, just the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all right? Two exciting books, a book about counting things, and a whole bunch of thou's and thou shalt nots. He didn't even have the good part yet, right? I mean, he didn't even have Jesus yet. He didn't even see how the sins of Genesis find the salvation in Jesus. He doesn't even see how Exodus' story is pointing to the greatness when Jesus comes. He didn't even see how all the thou's and the thou shalt nots that would be broken would ultimately be found in redemptive with Jesus. He didn't even see how all of these people in this Israel, this people that God was building, would be able to be the ones who would usher into the Savior of the world. He didn't even see that. He didn't even have the good parts. And yet he speaks about God's word with such joy, such joy. And man, I'm telling you, I long for that in my life, and I long for that in this church, and I long for this in your lives. See, last year I was on vacation, and I was traveling through Kansas on I-70, 
And I was listening to a podcast, and the podcaster was interviewing a man named Timothy Keller. Now, I don't know if you know Timothy Keller or not, but he's one of the heroes of, of faith for me. He was a pastor. He's written a ton of books. Uh, a lot of what he's written has been an inspiration to me and has helped me in my understanding in terms of my own faith journey. So I was listening to this podcast where he was being interviewed, and, and during the interview, kind of flippantly, maybe not flippantly is not the right word, but very quickly, they kind of passed over something. The podcaster said uh, that Tim, Timothy Keller had read through these scriptures in its entirety some 70 times in his life. 70 times he had read through the scriptures in his life. And while it was passed over quickly in the interview, it stuck with me, and it, and it got me thinking that all of the people that I admire in my life is because of their deep love for God. There's just this joy that, that permeates their life because of their love for Jesus. And as I was driving down I-70, I was thinking through this, and I was pondering this, and I began to think, well, no wonder. Every single one of them that I know has a method of reading through the Bible yearly, some of them more than once. Now, while I read the Bible all the time, there was this conviction that came over me because I realized that, that I don't really have a method of working through the Bible like that, where I'm reading through the scriptures in its entirety year after year. And it's not that I even want to be like Keller, but, man, Keller has spent a lifetime reading, searching, discovering what God himself is like. And it's led to a great joy in his life. And when I hear Keller talking, when I see him talking, when I, when I see interviews with him in there, I can't help but think this is what King David must have been like in Psalm 119, talking about the scriptures. And so this year in 2020, I decided that I'm going to make a commitment and I'm I'm going to make a new discipline in my life where I'm going to start reading through the scriptures in their entirety every year. And as I started thinking about this, I, I stumbled across an app called Read Scripture. It's made by Crazy Love Ministries. That's Francis Chan in concert with the Bible Project. You can find it in the App Store on Google Play. Wherever you can get an app, you can find uh, this app. And, um, and I started doing it at the beginning of this year. And what's really great about this app is that it includes videos that help you see that, that these aren't just old stories, right? But, these are, but this is God telling a grand story, revealing himself in, in some deeply personal ways. And so I've just made a commitment this year that, that I'm going to do that. And the whole reason that I bring this up is as we go into 2020 together, I'm wondering if you just wouldn't join in it with me. That as a church, if we wouldn't just commit to reading the scriptures through in its entirety this year. And the reason that I ask that is because I have a hunch that there's more than one of us that needs a little bit more joy in our lives. That we need to experience the peace of, of God this year in 2020. That we need a renewed hope within us this year. That my hunch is, is that, there's, that there's probably more than just a few of us who needs God to reveal himself in some ways that we could look back and go, oh, the riches of God. It's like honey on my lips. And I imagine there's just a few of us with us. And so I, I invite you to join with me. It's not going to be a program. We're not even going to speak a lot about it. I'm just wondering if you would make 2020 a year of committing to reading through the scriptures alongside me this year. With that said, I want to pray over us. So if you would, at all three of our campuses, go ahead and close your eyes. And as we begin our prayer, if, 
with everybody's eyes closed, if, if you would join me in, in the reading of scriptures this year in 2020, in their entirety, would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray over you. Amen. Look at all the hands. That's great. Jesus, um, man, I see all the hands that are lifted high. Lord, people who desire your joy, your, your love, your peace, your hope. God, we want it even more, Lord. We're people who have studied and, and searched your scriptures, and, and we've reached some pretty cool mountaintops, but we realize, Lord, that there is even more for you to reveal to us. And Lord, we yearn for that. We yearn for what to know what you are like. And so, Lord, I know that, that this time of year, it's easy to say what we're going to do, and it's hard to live it out. And so, God, I would ask that you would take our good intentions knowing that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, that you would take these good intentions and that you would turn them into obedient action this year as we enter into your word. God, be there with us. Father, as we keep praying, I know that for, for some, Lord, their good intention this year was to come to church more consistently, that there was just something in their lives, Lord, that said that, that they needed to be here more often. And Lord, I am grateful for that. I know that they're here. And Lord, I believe that the reason that you've, you've called them in here is because some of them need to make 2020, the commitment that they need to make this year is not only to read your scriptures, but to surrender their lives to you. God, it's through your scriptures that, that we see how much you loved us and that you gave us a gift that we did not deserve, that we could not earn, that you sent your son Jesus who was perfect and without sin into this world to give us life so that we could know your goodness, so that we could see you. And the scriptures say very simply that anyone who confesses with their mouth that, that you are Lord and believes in their heart that, that you raised Jesus from the dead, that they are saved. And so, Lord, I know that there are people at each and every one of our campus, each and every one of our campus, Lord, who are living in that space right now. They feel distant from you. They've never experienced your joy. They've never experienced your peace or your hope. And Lord, they yearn for it. And Lord, the prayer of their heart right now is, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I know that you're the son of God come to, to die for my sins. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I surrender to you today. God, for people who are praying that prayer, Lord, confessing that in their hearts, Lord, I pray that you would hear them, and I know that you do. And Lord, for those who are praying that prayer today, that you are welcoming them with open arms into your family, that you are saving them. And for that, Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, I'm thankful for the surrender of life. I'm thankful for all of the people, Lord, who have surrendered their lives, who come to hear your word. Lord, we're on an endless pursuit to see and to know you more. And so as we enter into 2020, God, I would pray that you would show up in our lives in some extraordinary personal ways as we read through your scriptures this year. It's in Jesus' name I pray. All of God's people said.